Welcome to Virtual School Assembly. I'm your host, Tyler Christensen. I'm a productivity speaker, author, and classroom teacher. Here at Virtual School Assembly, I interview Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes, Olympians, speakers, and educators who share messages of inspiration, education, and hope to better prepare you for an ever-changing and uncertain world. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to Virtual School Assembly. Today, our guest is Kevin Goralchek. He is the, an experienced principal with a demonstrated history of working in educational management. Kevin has been a school administrator at levels K through 12. Uh, he spent the last 12 years working in schools with high free and reduced lunch students and is skilled in nonprofit organizations, analytical skills, classroom management, lesson planning, and educational technology. Sounds like he's perfectly situated for a, a time like right now. He's a strong educational professional with a proven track record of school improvement at high-risk schools. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Well, thank you very much, Tyler. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, welcome into everybody to my basement, my home away from home these last uh, <laughs> two, two and a half months. It's been an interesting, uh, it's been interesting. At least right now when I'm home, I, I don't have to go out and wear in public, you know, my my uh, my mask that I keep with me just in case, you know. So um, it's, I think I'm a fearing that that might be our new normal as we move forward. So today I wanted to talk to everybody a little bit about um, the, the the importance of classroom teachers. And I think it's one of the things that I've heard over the last several m- months, weeks, has been, gee, you know, wow, that teacher needs to make more money, or wow, that teacher is really important. Um, I don't understand how they do this because right now my new normal is I've got three kids at home and I've got to get their e-learning done and I've got to get their virtual learning done. In the meantime, I got my own job to do. The daycare is closed and I can't even get groceries and everybody's closed up. And I understand that. And it's that way for teachers too. And I think if anything that might come out of this is a deep appreciation for the teachers and what they go through and the things that they have to do on a daily basis. And just how isolated I think that teachers feel right now when they're not with their kids, especially grades K through uh, five in the elementary. But I think there's even something to be said at this time for teachers grades K through 12. I think they you get into school for two reasons, to teach, you get in to teach for a couple of reasons. The first one is, is either you were really, really good at school and you wanted to maintain that your whole life and share that with everybody, or two, you're trying to right or wrong. You know, <laughs> this happened to me when I was in ninth grade, and I'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen, and we're going to make sure you get, uh, you know, your fair shake out of this. And I think most of the time, teachers fall into those two categories when we're talking about educators, and there's some outliers and some exceptions to that. But mostly it's a a wealth of wanting to be around others. And I think when we're not, and we're very, you know, teacher talk kind of thing. And what we're doing now is it's very, well, kids, here we are. And we're missing that element and that piece of that everyday contact and the importance of um, what happens dynamically in everyone's classroom across the nation. And so some of the things that they looked at, and I'm not, you know, against online schooling, and I'm not against, you know, you know, Western Governors University or any of the many of the other ones that are out there. Um, I think they have a purpose, and I and I think they're great, especially for people who have full time jobs and those types of things. And I think everybody learns differently, so schools look different to everybody. And it's really what we have to take into consideration as we move forward. 
But I think for the masses, and I think for the masses, I think school is a place where we get up and we go, and we count on that school, that brick and mortar building, for a number of things, for healthcare with a school nurse, for that teacher who's there to provide a good morning when maybe we don't get one anywhere else, for stability in some student's life, for internet service, for, the, for, for, for meals, and for just athletic sporting events to be able to go into the fine arts to play an instrument. And the school provides all those things. So when we're not in school and we're out of school, people would say, wow, I love this online learning and I want to learn from this online platform or that online platform. And I think that those platforms are extremely important, but I also think that we're missing this huge piece because now we're talking about how do we re-enter? What happens in the fall? What will schools look like? And why, you know, what's going to be our new normal? And so I think that with all that being said, I wanted to point out some things I think as we move forward that we don't want things to get lost um, in education and why classroom teachers are very important to the, the, the wealth and the health and the well-being of all students. And that I think that online has a place. I think that nothing can replace the teacher in the classroom. So you've got an educator who at least has studied for four years and did some student teaching and had come out. And one of those things that they bring to us that we're sitting in the classroom, you get a, a, a feeling of security. And how do you get that feeling of security? Because you are being able to be given um, an, an organizational capacity, a capacity that says, you know what, here's some rules, here's some guidelines, and I want you to be here on time, and I want you to be in this school uniform, and I want you to be prepared for class. Just that right there in itself for some of our students is very, very, very difficult because they're not, maybe maybe they're staying up all night. Maybe they're not getting, you know, up in when the teachers are online teaching the lessons. There's any number of reasons why, but I think that organizational capacity starts in kindergarten, and then we get more freedoms from that as we go through like 12th grade, that kind of thing. And we get more and more freedoms with that, but our organizational capacity builds from five years old to 18 years old. And I think that when we don't have that, where our students, and I hear this from teachers a lot, well, I'm trying to teach them about life and having a job and being on time and being this and being, and that is all part of it. And now when you don't have somebody there keeping track because mom and dad have to go to work and you're home and you may be taking care of a brother or a sister, that's a very difficult thing to do. Something else I think that we miss is um, the that promotes the collaboration of learning environment in the building and in the classroom. What we have is, is we have students who will sit in class and maybe answer questions, maybe not. But when the teacher puts the example up on the board and the student can go up and they can look at it and they can go, wow, you know, I, I kind of get it now or the student that asked that question in class where you thought it was a silly question, the teacher goes, that's a really good question. It's what we're learning from one another that, that we're missing while, while we're having these conversations that are going on with the content, but yet we're diving deeper into those more higher thinking questions. And that's a very difficult thing to do online when you don't have people around you because we're collaborating together to come up with the answers. And I think another part of it is, is that we need to enhance those critical thinking skills. When we're sitting in class and we're talking amongst one another, 
we have to make and give an opinion about something, whether we appreciated the math question, whether we appreciated um, taking a stand for a paper, but then we have to back those things up with evidence. And all that's what we're trying to do with our kids to build their capacity is getting them to think and then write. But we can't do that if we're not collaborating and we don't have an organization uh, in, in the room and we don't have something that builds our opinions to make us defend what we do believe in front of other students. And I think those things are completely forgotten at this time and that we need to keep those things in mind that the teacher is the orchestrator of all of that. And not only that, but this teacher keeps the students stimulated, can move a conversation from point A to point B, can give positive reinforcement or negative, but, but can give there and can give facial expressions or say, hey, will you guys calm down? We need to get back on track. There's any number of those things that the teacher can do to facilitate what's going on in the classroom. And then I think they also look at, and this is the big thing I think that the most important part of this whole process is what do we look at when we have the teachers that they need to modify what they're doing? So I've got the class in front of me and I'm teaching. If I understand and I can read a room or I can give a quick formative assessment, you know, informal formative assessment of a fist of five, how many of you are understanding this? And I got a bunch of zeros or a couple of ones or twos, I might know that I need to go back and reteach what I've already taught. But if I'm online and at home, it might be a little bit more difficult to do those types of things. So I think that the teacher can stop, retool, and then go back and reteach right on the spot, or go back and spiral back through the material and look at it and go, wow, here I am. This is what I've got to offer for you. And we can fix it right on the spot where maybe when we're online, it might take a little bit longer and we're not going to get through those very important times, you know, when the teaching process in the classroom. And I think finally, the development of those interpersonal relationships is the most important thing. And my biggest fear is, is if we don't know our kids when we go back to school this fall, if we can go back to school this fall, what that might look like for us. Because we are going now to be talking about a different ballgame. Will teachers actually know the students in their classes? And to build those relationships with knowing where the kids have come from, who may not have breakfast, who's got siblings, who's struggling, who doesn't have internet, who doesn't have a device, those kind of things. It's going to be really hard because at least this year, we, we kind of should have had those relationships built through March. And, you know, we were in the school year and we stopped and we thought we were going back, but then it just kept extending. And now here we are with maybe a different sort of trend where we're looking at. So I think when we look at those things, I think we need to take into consideration of what the one size fits all might look like, which I don't think it will look because I think each individual state and each individual um, uh, township, school, district, corporation is going to have to work with their local government and state government through the federal government and the CDC to make sure that we're safe. First, make everything safe for our students when we return to school and meet those needs with the kids with whatever that looks like. But then look at how we can go ahead and try to assess our students once we have those programs in place for safety for our kids with spacing 
and masks and gloves and anything else that we're going to need to do with hand sanitizers and washing hands and what lunch periods may or may not look like. But the bigger thing now is, is to look at, you know, what do my kids know? There's this talk now of a learning gap. And what are we going to do about that? So we need to probably pre-assess our students. And if we have, and if your school is lucky enough to have, and ours is, as we have developed, and I'm very proud of our teachers for doing this, um, common assessments. If you could give those common assessments out to your, to your students, and you can kind of get a game plan of, wow, you know, I got this. I know where we're at. That'll give you a starting point. If you can have a growth assessment that you can use that your district does use, Use those and then look at things like learning continuum as an example of that to try to fill in those gaps and those blanks. But I don't think you need, I think you have to set the expectation high, but you also need to be very familiar with state standards. You need to understand what the power standards are in each state when you're subject there, your grade level. And then you need to be able to drill those down to be able to get the most important content out there. And if we go to some sort of modified school or anything along those lines, I think what we really need to do and really need to consider is this. What is the most important content that I have to teach my students? Okay. And I need to get this across. I need to expose them, expose them, not hide from it, expose them. And then worry more on the exposure and the content, be more content oriented than assessment oriented. I think the more we can expose those students and the more we can worry less about grades, the better off we're all going to be. And I think we're just going to have to keep planning and replanning. And each district should have a plan A, B, or C <laughs> because we're not really going to know what we're going to be doing. But I think if we can do those things and the importance of those things, whether it's a modified, whether it's a traditional, whether it's a block, whatever districts are going to do, I think we need to do those things and work with our central administrators the best we can and be on the forefront of this. I think some districts got caught maybe looking the other way or weren't expecting this to come out the way it did, and then it did, and then here we are. So I think we've got some time to plan, but August is going to be here pretty soon, and I'm sure that no one wants to get back to school more than I do, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else does because this learning from home kind of thing is very, very difficult. Um, so that's just a quick synopsis, I think, of, of, of the importance of teaching and learning in schools. And uh, maybe what what to look for and some how to re-enter into the building, right? So, Kevin, I think you make a compelling argument for why we need brick and mortar buildings, why we need teachers, and and the value they have. Uh, I want to address a few questions now on what teachers can be doing this summer and and in preparation for the fall as we move forward. I know. Um, so here I am in my classroom. You'll see we're empty. Um, I'm. We finished school last week here in, in Southern Utah. And so I'm coming in once a week thinking about what can I do to prepare for fall? I'm, I'm filming some instructional videos to show my, my students how to do math problems. I'm actually doing some deep cleaning and stuff like that. You know, custodial will do a lot of that, but there's some things that I can control. Um, but there are some things that I think teachers don't really know to, where to begin. So one of the points that you brought up is something that we'll lose if we go online is that interpersonal connections yeah. with our students. You, you just can't get a sense in an online environment like you can in the classroom when a student's falling asleep and you're asking them, you know, what was last night like? And you find out what their home life's like in some measure. And then you can tailor your instruction 
for those needs. That's much harder to do online. Um, do you have any suggestions for things that teachers should be thinking about now so they can get to know their students and their students' needs? I know some of our, that's a great question, Tyler, and I think that some of our our teachers have done this. Uh, what we have done with our students is reach out to them via phone and or email, mm -hmm. um, and it's not just been the teachers, it's been the administrators, and it hasn't just been the students who were uh, needed a little push to do their work, it's been just the ones that had been doing their work to say good job. I think that if teachers can take the time to get hold of class lists to put those things out there. If administrators have planned for next year and you get an idea of what you're teaching, first of all, so you can kind of dive into those things, but then to build that relationship, that capacity with those students and their parents. What I noticed is, is when I called and emailed both a parent and the student and then the parent's email as well, and was able to do that after the teacher did it, that we had a really good response because what it was showing was is that probably it, the teacher and the administrator, as well as a possible guidance counselor or social worker, was able to reach out just to say hi, just to invite that student in, just to say, here, we're starting over again. Here's where we're at. This is what I need you to do. That, and I've seen some of our teachers have sent cards, and when kids had birthdays, they sent birthday cards. I've also seen teachers do and this is a bad word, parade. So I'm not going to say drive-by, but parade. <laughs> when they would go out to the kids' communities and my own children had their teacher come by, hit the horn and wave to the kids and have a conversation from the street into the home. Those things did take place in our district and where my children go to school as well. So I think that those are, those are some ways to build capacity and trust with students and with parents. And maybe just even to ask them as well, is there something that you need? Because if you notice, every time I turn on the National News, there's long lines for food. And we have to make sure that those students' needs are being met, even if they're not in school. Right. Uh, I, I can attest to that. As you see behind me, I have a, a lot of books. And one of the best things that's happened for me in the last two months is our, our school boundaries are, are wide. It's 20 miles across our boundaries. Um, actually, it's more than that. A, a few live about 50 miles away and because we're in a charter school. And over the last few months, I've missed my students. I've wanted to be with them. I've wanted to see them. So I, my excuse was, you need good books to read. I'm, I'm taking bundles and dropping them off at their houses. And the cool thing about that was there are some parents that I never met during the school year. They didn't come to parent-teacher meetings. They didn't show up for certain things. But when I went to their house, they showed up to answer the door. And, you know, I give them this, the sealed bag that I haven't touched, you know, no contact. And, um, but had some conversations that were really meaningful with parents, uh, not just the students. It was good to see the students too, but what an opportunity to meet parents. And um, I, I would rather do that. I hate phones. And so I'd rather drive 50 <laughs> miles if that's what it takes to see someone than call them on the phone. So um, great suggestions. Another thing that you touched on, and I'd like to, to dig into this a little bit, is the assessment piece. You know, obviously this year, with because no one expected this, we were able to say, okay, well, we're going to cancel some state testing. We're going to cancel some of the things that we normally do. However, for many teachers, the way they build their instruction is around assessment because grades are an important thing. They, they show what our students have learned. And, and 
planning for that end of year testing, but even end of unit testing and things like that, that's an important part of the classroom. So when you suggest let's make learning more important than assessment, of course that makes sense. But that's a hard thing for teachers to do when we're used to not necessarily teaching to the test, but using our tests to guide us through what the state standards are and, and making sure that we're teaching in an effective way. So bearing all that in mind, what, what advice would you have for teachers looking forward for things that they can do so that they don't feel like they have to make an assessment as integral a part of their curriculum as what we've done in the past? You know, another really good question. And I think this is something that we've tried. What we've done is we've looked at the standards of what the kids are supposed to know at the grade level or the subject level that they're at. And we've tried to drill those things down to the, 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 the most, uh, we, we rated them like one through five or one through six in some areas. And we gave the, the, one, the things that show up on the state assessment or a national assessment the greatest value. We did that by more questions. And every testing company out there has a version of what they would call you as the next best thing, <laughs> whatever that is. And you look at that and you say, well, if everybody, if you compare them and you look at it, I don't know if comparing apples to oranges really, but if you look at the content and what they're asking, do I need to know in math, and if you're in ninth grade, do I need to know in algebra how to do polynomials? You probably do. And so you would give that a lot more content as you build to that and spend more time with that because you're going to build the student's capacity to learn that because there's more importance placed on that. Not that those things that are building up to it aren't important, they are, but to spend, and when you make out a curriculum map for the year, to know that I need to expose you to this difficult degree of, of, um, of school, of the subject area, the subject matter, that we can have this so you can look at it and go, you know, if I, if I gave this a five and I sat down with other educators who teach the same area as I do district or, you know, statewide, and I can look at it or I had somebody from the state come in and say, this is how we rank. And so you know that 40% of the test is going to be on this stuff and maybe, you know, 10% is on this stuff. And you might have to adjust what you were teaching because maybe you'd spent way more time on this and they really know it, but it wasn't showing up. And so I think some of that, as you say, is learning what's actually going to be assessed <laughs> and, and then spending time teaching and leading to that. And I think that the more collaboration that you have with colleagues and with people who might have written the test or suggested to the company you write the test to know how those questions are being structured. And then the more you can use in, you know, your, your own scaffolding of questions in the classroom, the better off that we can ask those questions that are similar to our students, both verbally helping them through it throughout the year. They won't be surprised when they see a two or three or four step question show up on maybe a state or national assessment. And so I think the more time we spent collaborating with PD, with mm -hmm. talking to one another, and I think we got it, but you got to have that set of guidelines and those set of rules that say, we're not going to have this complaint department. We've given this document. Here's what we're going to do. And the administration wants to see this at the end of the month or three or four Wednesdays for our PLC time. This is the expectation. And we have to produce this document. And I think that's a, a way to help the teacher without spying on them and creating a trust. 
Right. Now, one of the biggest challenges that teachers face in a normal teaching setting is when you teach a complex task or, or something that maybe parents at home wouldn't know how to explain to their kids. Um, that's a challenge. And in a classroom, you can instruct and you can teach and then you can have students work together and figure things out and then you can go around and support them in small groups. That's a real challenge to do online, uh, especially when, you know, some many parents are, are trying to support their, their kids in their learning. And so they're trying to relearn these things, things that they haven't been over for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, it's hard to prepare for that. So as we think about going into the summer and preparing for the fall, um, let's take math, for example. There's a lot of math problems that parents at home just can't do. They forgot how to do it, and they can't support kids at learning that at home. Is there anything that teachers can be doing now in anticipation of that so that it's a little bit smoother if we remain online in, in the fall? And I think that there is. Uh, some of the things that we've done, we've kind of, we've, we're kind of learning as we're going, too, in our mm -hmm. district. One of the things we did was use Screencastify okay, or Google Meets or Google Classrooms. Those things can get saved and then rebroadcasted out. Now, the nice thing is with math, and, and the, the, the teachers that were really like pulling their hair out with this whole thing was, was the math department because of the complexity of some of the problems. And so they're working almost harder now because the kids are doing their learning, but then they have questions. And so then they're like emailing or calling or doing something along those lines. So I think the more you can, it, we used to call this um, uh, uh, classroom when they switched the classrooms and I can't think of the phrasing of it now. Um, we did, we, we, you know, we, we turned them around and it was turnaround, you know, you like teach at school and then you would learn at home. And I think it was a concept that we had started a few years back. I think now what I can envision is, is we may have to do those kind of things as we move forward, because I think we need to archive probably what we've taught and what we've learned. But I also think there's things that to partnerships that are there to be had in local communities. If you're, you know, like where I'm at in the Midwest and you've got lots of universities around, we have partnerships set up with local community colleges as well as some state schools. And we're able to use their homework hotline help and things of that nature for maybe a college-age student that would get hours. Something we're also investigating at the high school level is having our National Honor Society students get hours to turn around and help kids do math or anything like that from like, you know, six to eight in the evening, you know what I mean, a couple of days a week. And that's something that we're investigating to do because we know there's a need out there. So I think the more supports that you put in place or you can think of, like now we're trying to think of that for the fall so we can get that maybe up and running for another another layer of support for students at home, but also um, with the teachers to be able to, you know, think outwardly and archive those things and then be available as often as possible, but also work with partnerships to see if we can't get more help to people that are in need. Because, nine, you know, I know it, you know it as an educator, but the normal parent at home probably doesn't, and that's who we're, we're targeting, those parents, which is most of them. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's been a real challenge. You know, uh, as as students started learning from home, I found that I was teaching the students in the morning, and I was making videos, instructional videos, and putting them on YouTube and stuff. And and then during for the questions that would come in during the days, I spent a lot of evenings teaching the parents how to teach the students. And so I was getting requests from parents. I don't know how to do this problem. Can you show me how right. to do it? And so I'm getting on Zoom calls with parents so that they can walk through it with their kids. Uh, it's a, a whole new world that we're in, and it's it been an adventure for sure. It sure has. <laughs> Um, now, Kevin, I, I really appreciate you coming on today. I think this is really helpful for teachers looking forward to the fall. Um, we'll, we'll probably post this as part of our, our professional development series, um, things that teachers can be thinking through the summer as they're preparing for the fall. We don't know what to expect. And so it, the best thing we can do is prepare for all situations. And, and certainly we're in a position to do that right now. Um, if um, teachers want to connect with you or, or follow what you're up to, where's the best place for them to find you? They can, they can reach me through email. Um, they can reach me through LinkedIn. My email is K-G-O-R-A-L-C-Z-Y-K at M-C-A-S dot K-1-2 dot I-N dot U-S. I can also be reached via uh, phone, area code 219-873-2044 extension 4304 so that's my uh home or not my home my office number and my email um i'd be happy to connect with anyone uh to shoot ideas off of to gain probably more than i'm giving (laughs) but uh i'm a big proponent for um collaboration amongst professionals amongst people um because i don't have all the answers i just have ideas and and i and i think I, i take more than i could ever give but with the things I do give and try to retain are things I think have worked. So, uh, but I'd be more than happy to, to, to hear and to help anyone at any time. Incredible. Well, thank you so much for being so willing and for all that you shared today. Um, really appreciate it. We'll, we will link in the description uh, those, those contact points that you mentioned. Thanks again. Thank you, Tyler. I really had a good time and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us today on Virtual School Assembly. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen to virtual assemblies. And leave us a rating and review so we know what you learned and took away from this virtual assembly. Videos and show notes are found at virtualschoolassembly.com. And if you're a school leader and you're looking for a speaker for virtual or traditional in-school assemblies, or if you're looking for some teacher training, I'd love to connect with you to see how I can help. You can check out my website at tylerchristiansen.com. Thanks. You are super duper. Let's go out and make the world a better place. Bye-bye.